The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Well, you may remember that a few weeks ago, Alex gave us some information about a meeting that was going to be held by a charity that uh, friends of ours runs. And this is a charity that helps people who have had abortions or people who are thinking about abortions. And it tries to support them uh, if they decide not to have an abortion and it helps them, tries to help them if they have had an abortion. And we were invited to this meeting and myself and Susan, we went along to this meeting. It was very interesting and um, I just want to report back to you what happened and discuss some issues that came up which are rather important, really. But I want to start by reading a text. Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. And this is what it says. If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly, as the woman's husband imposes upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay, so that's basically the principle set out in the Old Testament, justice. Justice has to be appropriate. The purpose of that law, which the hand for hand, foot for foot, which is sometimes called the lex talionis, as if it's some kind of retaliatory law. It isn't retaliatory at all. It's there to limit. The tendency of human beings is vengeance. If somebody pokes my eye out as a human being, I want to poke both their eyes out, break their arms and chop one of the legs off. And what this, you know, that's the hum- that's human nature. But the Bible says, no, no, you can't do that. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If somebody pokes your eye out, justice means eye for eye, not eye for two eyes, two arms and a leg. So it's actually a law that restricts vengeance and makes sure that justice is done. So we shouldn't look at this law in a negative fashion. However, it does show that justice has to be done. And in actual fact, usually with all these things, the Bible goes on to give forms of compensation, usually monetary compensation, or in some cases freedom when somebody isn't free for this. The only case where you can't commute it to some form of compensation Compensation is murder. And the Bible says that in a case of murder, no ransom can be taken. In other capital offences, all capital offences in the Bible, with the exception of murder, are maximum sentences, not mandatory sentences. The only mandatory sentence is murder. And so they can be commuted, but wouldn't necessarily be in, in all circumstances. Now, I read that just to set the principle of what the Bible says, because this is a woman who is pregnant and whose baby is caused to be aborted, basically. Not intentionally, 
So that sets a principle. If there is a principle of justice that has to be applied here in the unintentional killing of a, an unborn child, then it equally applies as strongly in the intentional killing of an unborn child. Now, in this country, I think this is still the law, it certainly used to be the law, that the killing of a pregnant woman was considered double homicide. Is that still the case? Do you know whether that's still the case? I think it is. There have but, been cases where, it was not so long ago, where a guy killed... Um, no, he, sorry, he stabbed his wife and she lost the child. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's the law. It certainly used to be the law in this country. Anyway, I, I say all this just to set the context. This meeting that we went along to was a pro-life meeting, and it was a meeting for Christians, and particularly for leaders of churches in the area around here. And the guy who gave the talk, he goes around giving talks about this to lots of various um, churches and meetings. It was very interesting, but it was also, for me, quite surprising because he said that there is a great silence in the evangelical churches in this country about abortion, and I hadn't expected that. Now, it is true to say I'm somewhat out of the loop when it comes to going to evangelical churches, and I, I admit that. But I was surprised that he said that, that it's a silent issue, that churches won't talk about it, preachers won't preach about it. And he also went on to say it was a grey area. Now, when it came to the discussion, I challenged him on this, and I said that for 2,000 years, the church did not see this as a grey area, but as a black and white issue. And it had a very clear message, an unambiguous stance, that abortion was wrong. And then he changed his mind and he said, well, yes, I agree, it is a black and white issue. So maybe he was saying in the churches people see it as a grey issue, I don't know. But what then happened was that several ministers in this meeting who ministers of churches, made it clear and said they would not preach on abortion in church for fear of upsetting their congregants. And I was really surprised to hear that. I was surprised that things had come to that state that ministers were not preaching on issues for fear. Now, I want to give you an example of the opposite, what used to be the case. About 20 years ago, I went to visit a friend who lives by the sea and he told me a story that happened in his youth and this story was that there was a, a great storm at sea and there was a ship that needed a lifeboat to go out to it and the lifeboat left and a great wave picked up the lifeboat at the mouth of the harbour turned it over flattened it and killed everybody on board every lifeboat man on that lifeboat was killed and at the funeral and the memorial service for those men, the minister took as his text for preaching at this funeral, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, that took some courage, but that's, that's what preachers are supposed to do, stand up for the truth. He used the opportunity to get an important message across. That was courage in preaching, and what we have today is the exact opposite. Ministers are too mealy-mouthed and frightened to stand up for the gospel, to stand up for the truth, and, for, and to preach what is right and wrong. And I found that really quite sad to hear that. However, after the meeting, there was a vicar there, one of the vicars in the town, and he came to me and he said, 
it's not so clear. The church has not given a clear message on this issue for 2,000 years. The church has always been very ambiguous about this issue. There is no clear message from the church about abortion. It hasn't spelled it out that it's wrong. And I said, well, I think you're wrong. I think the church has. And he challenged me and he said, well, can you show me the earliest reference to abortion in the Christian church? So I said, I will go away and I will do that and I will look it up. Um, by the way, this, this vicar also preached to his congregation one time and I was there and I heard it. And he said, there are no rules in Christianity. No rules in Christianity. He told his congregation that. And now he's he here saying, well, you know, we shouldn't really be preaching about abortion because the church has never had a clear message on abortion. So what I want to do this morning is to show you that the church has spoken clearly for 2,000 years on this issue. And it's only in recent decades that there's been this compromise on the issue and greying of the area. And I want to do that by simply quoting what the church fathers said about this because it goes back very, very early. I have a number of quotations here. It won't take long to go through them, but I want to just say this. So that if you ever come upon somebody who comes to you and says this, as this vicar said to me, that there is no clear message from the church, the early church did not speak unambiguously about this issue, you can say that is not the case. Because there are many. There is clear teaching from the early church. And I just want to, to go through that. Now, first of all, I have here J.B. Lightfoot's translation of the Apostolic Fathers, which are a collection of early documents from the early church. One of the earliest of these is the Epistle of Barnabas. And the Epistle of Barnabas was written round about between 70 and 70, 79 AD. And this is what it says in the Epistle of, of Barnabas. Okay, here we go. This is in part... It, a part of a list of rules, <laughs> which apparently there aren't in Christianity, according to that vicar. But this is what he says. Thou shalt not entertain a wicked design against thy neighbour. Thou shalt not admit boldness into thy soul. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not corrupt boys. The word of God shall not come forth from thee where, where any are unclean. Thou shalt not make a difference between in a person to reprove him for a transgression. Thou shalt be meek, thou shalt be quiet, thou shalt be forbearing, thou shalt be fearing the words which thou hast heard. Thou shalt not bear a grudge against thy brother. Thou shalt not doubt whether a thing shall be or not be. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt love thy neighbour more than, than thine own self. And then it says this, Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor again shalt thou kill it when it is, in, when it is born. Because in the ancient world they used to expose their infants as well. So it's very clear in, in the midst of a list of other things that are forbidden for Christians, it talks about murdering a child by abortion and you are not to murder a child by abortion this is a very early document the epistle of Barnabas, about 770 AD so it's very early on that this is said now the next one is the Didache and the Didache is a very early teaching manual for the Christian church 
And it was written somewhere between 60 and 160 AD. And this is what the Didache says. And this is a second commandment of the teaching. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not corrupt boys. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not deal in magic. Thou shalt do no sorcery. Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when born. So it's very clear. This is another very early teaching of the church. And it lists it among all those other things that are forbidden as an act of murder, killing a child by abortion. So there we have the two, early, one, two of the earliest documents in the Christian church that forthrightly condemn abortion. There is no ambiguity. Okay, next, a writer called Athenagoras, and in his book, A Plea for the Christians... He says this. Where does this guy write? This guy is writing. What? When is he writing? Uh, just let me have a look. Around 177 AD, I think. And this is what he says. How then, when we do not even look on, lest we should contract guilt and pollution, guilt and pollution, can we put people to death? And when we say that those women who use drugs to bring on abortion commit murder and will have to go give an account to God for the abortion on what principle should we commit murder so he's saying he's classing here is this is in part of an argument um, and he's, he's classing murder as, as a form of uh, sorry abortion as a form of murder there's no unclarity about it abortion is classed as murder that's Athenagoras also, Clement of Alexandria, now I cannot quote from the actual book by Clement of Alexandria because the pietists who translated the Anti-Nicene Fathers, when they came to bits about sex and bits they thought was unsa were unsavoury, said, for obvious reasons, we'll leave it in Latin. So, my Latin simply isn't good enough to... to yours might be sorry. My Latin isn't good enough to trawl through the untranslated elements of... Um, Clement of Alexandria to find out what he said. So I'll look this up online and this is apparently what he said. This is a quotation from his book that remains untranslated in the Antinicene Father. He says, Our whole life can go on in observation of the laws of nature. If we gain dominion over our desires from the beginning and if we do not kill by various means of perverse art the human offspring, born according to the designs of divine providence. For those women who, in order to hide their immorality, use abortive drugs which expel the matter completely dead, abort at the same time their own human feelings. Abortion is killing human life that is under God's care, design and providence. So, Clement of Alexandria. Next, Tertullian, we have, in his Apology... Now, the context of this is that the Christians were often accused by the people back then of being cannibals because they celebrated communion in, and they called it the body and the blood of Christ. And they got this evil reputation of being cannibals who drink children's blood. And there were quite a number of apologists who tried to oppose this stupid idea uh, by writing apologies against it. And it is in the context of this that that Tertullian says this. In our case, murder 
being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance. To hinder a birth is merely a speedy man-killing, nor does it matter whether you take away life that is born or destroy one that is coming to birth. So again, that's a clear denunciation of abortion by Tertullian. After Tertullian, Hippolytus has this to say, and again, this is... Now, this is interesting because um, this is in a book called Refutation of All Heresies. And he's actually arguing against an apostate bishop of Rome called Callistus, who was a heretic, an apostate, and a libertine. And in, as part of this argument, he has, he has this to say. Whence, women, reputed believers, began to resort to drugs for producing sterility and to gird themselves around so to expel what was being conceived on account of their not wishing to have a child, either by a slave or by any paltry fellow, for the sake of their family and excessive wealth. And then he goes on, Behold, into how great impiety that lawless one has proceeded by inculcating adultery and murder, and at the same time, so he's saying it's adultery and murder. But there is a note here at the bottom of the page, and it says that Dr. Wordsworth places... This word um, that is translated as to bind around in the, the, the thing that I've just said. Um, it translates that women began to venture to bandage themselves with ligaments to produce abortion and to deal with drugs in order to, in order to destroy what was conceived. And he is, he is being, he's being critical of the fact that some were being given licence to do this. And this apostate bishop of Rome had, in fact, had a very liberal and immoral view and was permitting believers to do all sorts of things that were against Christian tradition. And earlier on, this is what he says, and the hearers of Callistus, being delighted with his tenets, continue with him, thus mocking both themselves as well as many others, and crowds of these dupes stream together into his school, Wherefore also his pupils are multiplied and they plume themselves upon the crowds attending the school for the sake of pleasures which Christ did not permit. But in contempt of him they place restraint on the commission of no sin, alleging that they pardon those who acquiesce in Callistus' opinions. For even also he permitted females, if they were unwedded and burned with passion at an age at all events unbecoming, or if they were not disposed to overturn their own dignity through a legal marriage, that they might have whomsoever they would choose as bedfellows, whether a slave or a free, and that a woman, though not legally married, might consider such a companion as a husband. And this is then where he goes on to say, whence women reputed believers began to resort to drugs for producing sterility and to gird themselves round to expel what was being conceived on account of their not wishing to have a child, either by a slave or by a paltry fellow for the sake of their family or excessive wealth. So what had happened was this corrupt bishop had given a lot of license, immorality, license, sexual immorality, a license to commit sexuality to his congregation. 
And these women were chatting up with men and getting pregnant and using abortion as a way, of, a way of dealing with it. And in his book Against All Heresies, he goes to criticise this and say that this is not right. And this wasn't the Christian position. What this, what this bishop was doing was completely gain, going against uh, the teaching of the church, as we've already seen. That's the only bit that I found where there was somebody saying an alternative message to what the church was preaching. But this guy was considered a heretic, an apostate, and a libertine, and was condemned as such there. There is also the apostolic constitutions, which are a collection of teachings from various sources from the early church. And this is what the apostolic constitutions say. On uh, the prohibition of conjuring murder of infants, perjury and false witness. Thou shalt not use magic, thou shalt not use witchcraft, for he says, ye shall not suffer a witch to live. You shall not slay thy child by causing abortion, nor kill that which is begotten. For everything that is shaped and has received a soul from God, if it be not slain, shall be avenged as being, as being unjustly destroyed. And it goes on in other, uh, to give other things thou shalt not do. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, thou shalt not... Uh, swear at all, and a list of other commandments that you're familiar with from the Bible. So again, in the Apostolic Constitutions, the abortion is um, forbidden. Now the seven ecumenical councils, there are three references I found in the seven ecumenical councils to abortion. And the first one is Canon 21 of the Council of Ancre, and this is what it says. Concerning women who commit fornication and destroy that which they have conceived, or who are employed in making drugs for abortion, a former decree excluded them until the hour of death. So prior to this um, council, the church had ex excommunicated them until the hour of death, if, should, if they should repent of death. And to this some have assented. Nevertheless, being desirous to use somewhat greater lenity, we have ordained that they fulfil a ten years of penance according to the prescribed degrees. Now, my point here is not what he's putting forward as a penance or anything like that, but the point that he's saying, up until now, somebody who, pro who procures or is involved in doing an abortion is excommunicate for life. Uh, now, <clears throat> and now they're saying they're going to make it for ten years. But it's clear from that that abortion is forbidden and considered wrong. Next, in the, what's called the Quinisext um, Council, or the Council of Trullo, which was in 692, and it's Canon 91, those who give drugs for procuring abortion and those who receive poisons to kill the fetus are subject to the penalty of murder. So it's very clear, again. And then... Um, we have this in the canons of, canons of Basil, Canon 2 says, Let her that procures abortion undergo ten years' penance, whether the embryo were perfect, perfectly formed or not. So is, that obviously relates to the other one, they, re, they reduce the penalty for ten years. Now at this point, I've been looking all these references up in my Antonician Bible, and I decided that... Um, I've got quite a lot, so I just I got fed up of looking through those tomes, to be honest. And I went on my computer and looked up for other church fathers 
in the early church who were kind of and I came up with a list of others who had done and I compiled this list Basil Bishop of Iconia she who has intentionally destroyed the fetus is subject to the penalty corresponding to a homicide for us there is no scrutinising between the formed and the unformed fetus here truly justice is made not only for the unborn but also with reference to the person who is attentive to himself herself since so many women women generally die for this very reason and again, in another letter, he says, he says, those who give the abortifacients and those who take the poisons are guilty of homicide. Ambrose, around 340 to 397. The poor get rid of their small children by exposure and denying them when they are discovered. But the rich also, that their wealth will not be more divided, deny their children when they are in the womb. And with all their, the force of parricide, that's killing a near relative, they kill the beings of their wombs while they're in the same fruitful womb. In this way, life is taken away from before it has been given. Jerome, 347 to 420. Some, when they find themselves with child through their sin, use drugs to procure abortion. And when, as often happens, they die with their offspring, they enter the lower world laden with the guilt not only of adultery, against Christ but also of suicide and child murder John Chrysostom 347 to 407 this is quite a long one actually why so where the ground makes its care to destroy the fruit where there are many efforts at abortion where there is murder before the birth for even the harlot thou dost not let continue a mere harlot but makest her a murderer also you see how drunkenness leads to whoredom, whoredom to adultery, adultery to murder, or rather something even worse than murder. For I have no name to give it, since it does not take off the thing born, but prevents its being born. Why then dost thou abuse the gift of God and fight with his laws and follow after what is a curse as if a blessing and make the chamber of procreation a chamber of murder and arm the woman that was given for childbearing unto slaughter for with a view to drawing more money by being agreeable and an object of longing to her lovers even this she not she is not backwards to do so heaping upon her head a great pile of fire so it, and it goes on um, it's basically it's obvious he's condemning abortion Augustine of Hippo 354 to 430 therefore brothers you see how perverse they are and hastening wickedness who are immature and seek abortion of the conception before birth. They are those who tell us, I do not see that which you say must be believed. So he's saying, well, I can't see it, so we can kill it. And he's saying, no, it's, it's murder. This is an excerpt from a sermon of St. Caesarius. And he says, no woman should take drugs for the purposes of abortion, nor should she kill her children that have been conceived or already born. If anyone does this, she should know that before Christ's tribunal, she will have to plead her case in the presence of those she has killed. Theodorus of Priscianus, 4th to 5th century, it is never licit to give something that will cause an abortion, as hypocrites point, sorry, as Hippocrates points out, as Hippocrates points out, it is not fitting that the innocent office of a doctor should be stained by complicity in such a serious offence. But if they attempt to avoid the birth on account of either a defect in the womb 
or the difficulties associated with their age, they greatly risk their lives to earn their health, just as, a, just as one risks killing the tree by applying something to the branches, or boats which are tossed about on a storm must throw away their cargo. So it was a dangerous thing about him back then. Um, and um, finally in this list I've got Justinian, which is 523 to 565, and he says... Because the thing is a bad example, lower class people who give a drink who, who give a drink to cause an abortion or to excite passion, although they do not do it deceitfully, are to be condemned to the mines, and more distinguished persons are to be relegated to an island and deprived of part of their wealth. If by this drink a woman or a man has died, they are condemned to capital punishment. So <clears throat> you might want to question this different penalties for different social classes there, <laughs> I would. But it's clear that he's condemning abortion. Now, I know this has been a somewhat tedious list of quotations, and but my point in doing it is really because I want to make it clear that if anybody comes and says the, the early church was not clear on this issue, you know this is not true. It is a diabolical lie, and it is a diabolical lie. We must speak justice and we must speak truth. We also must be compassionate. We do know that many women are constrained and pressured into having abortions. Yes, we must show compassion to those people, but we don't do it at the expense of overturning justice. And it's very clear that justice should not be overturned. And um, the Bible teaches that and the early church taught that. So I want you to be in the know about that, and it's very clear what the early church taught. And from then on, the church taught it throughout history. It's in recent years that there's been a change. But what astonished me was the ignorance of the clergy. Because I, I from my reading of history, I knew this would be the case. I had to go and look all these things up to make these points. I had to look up the church fathers for the vicar who asked me. But it should have been abundantly clear to these guys. They shouldn't be in a position. If if that guy can preach on, unless you all unless you all repent, you will likewise perish. At the funeral of people who were not doing anything wrong, they were trying to save other people's life. That was boldness. The church has lost the boldness. And you know, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost to give boldness. That is what the Holy Spirit comes to do: give boldness. Men are fearing. They're in a corner. They're terrified what's going to happen if we go out there. And the Holy Spirit comes and they go out and they have this boldness. Absolutely fearless. They don't care. And that's what the Holy Spirit comes. So preachers who will not speak the truth about these issues. I have to say, where, where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of boldness. And so they have to speak out boldly. And this has to be preached. Because until it is, people will not... No, and it's different. I spoke to one vicar one time and he said to me, it's not easy, it's not so easy just to talk about abortion. It's not so simple. He said, I could have three women from my church in this room with three different views of abortion. What am I supposed to preach? Well, I said to him, you're supposed to preach the truth and until you do, they'll continue to have three different views about abortion. Only when you start leading the congregation and preaching the truth Will the congregation have any hope of coming to a united view of what the truth is? 
But you see, his view of leadership was not to lead, but to be a referee for the different factions in the church. And that was his view of church leadership. So it's very clear that the church has always been against abortion. And the early church spoke very clearly. There is no ambiguity. One final point I want to make, and then we can discuss all this. I found out at the meeting that there is a, a charity in this country and they provide homes for women who have chosen not to have abortions so that they can help them through the pregnancy and having the child in the first part of the child's life that they can support them who otherwise might have had an abortion. And I think this is a very positive and good ministry. Now I rang them up to try and find out some information. They are not set up as a religious charity, so they're not set up as a Christian charity. And when they counsel a pregnant woman, they, they use the non-directive counselling method. Now, I don't particularly approve of this myself, but basically they won't say it's right or wrong. They just spell out the consequences. I think they do this because they can be in... You know, there's so much regulation now around counselling. Some pastors giving counselling sometimes these days could find themselves falling foul of the law. So I think they have to be careful there. However, they did say to me that when they go around the schools to give talks on this issue, they promote a very anti-abortion message. And they, their existence is to support people through not having abortions and helping them to give birth to the child. And I think this charity was originally set up when the Abortion Act was passed <laughs> some time ago. So I'm surprised I haven't um, come across it before. But apparently they've now got a home in this area, a local one in this area. And I am going to ring up and find more about it, and I'll let you know what happens when I do. But it might be something that's worth you considering supporting if you want to support this kind of thing. I think we probably will. I think it's a good idea to support local things that are doing positive things like that. So that's a very good positive note to end on. But that's what I wanted to say. And so if anybody does come and say that, as this clergyman said to me, you can say very clearly that is simply not the truth. The church, the early church spoke clearly and unambiguously and it, it said that abortion was wrong and that it was murder of a human being. So... That indeed would have been the uh, consistent teaching, certainly the Catholic Church. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea, and from the rivers to the ends of the earth.
The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.